everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Where can you get the best medical information anytime, anywhere? Right here on the smartest doctor in the room. You know, the goal of this podcast is to bring the top experts in oral areas of medicine right to your smartphone or listening device and also on YouTube. Disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as personal medical advice. For that, please consult with your trusted healthcare provider. Now, we all are trying to focus in areas to improve our health. We check our blood pressure. We want to know what our cholesterol levels are, even devices that tell our oxygen levels. Now, in holistic medicine, gut health is the hot topic. But what about our mouth health? Normally, when it comes to our mouth or dentistry, we seem to only pay attention if we have a toothache or a cavity, or if there's a cosmetic issue where everybody wants the whitest teeth. But what gets overlooked a lot by everyone, but especially medical doctors, is that the mouth is an immune organ. It's the beginning of what we call the alimentary canal of the gastrointestinal system. And the balance of the bacteria, the viruses and fungi in our mouth can play a very important role in our health. So my guest today, Dr. Nazar Al-Habshi, is an associate professor of the Kornberg School of Dentistry and the co-director of the Oral Microbiome Research Center at Temple University in Philadelphia. Aside from his dental degree, he also has a PhD in microbiology. So I think he's the perfect person to hopefully teach all of us how important it is our microbiome in our mouth. So it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Nazir Al-Habshi to the podcast. Thank you very much, Dean, for the invitation. I'm looking forward to a very fruitful discussion here. Okay. I always like to usually get people's background. So I'm interested, especially in yours, like why you decided to become a dentist. And then I see you went out to study, and I think you got a PhD in Norway in microbiology. Right. So, kind of so I had... <laughs> and that's an interesting question. And for me, it, it has been a very long journey because I I got trained as a dentist in, in my home country, that's Yemen. So I'm not U.S. trained. I'm not a U.S. trained dentist. Mm-hmm. And also as a Ph.D., I got my Ph.D. from Norway. So it's at that point where I moved away from clinical practice to science. And from that point on, although I kept some connection, I mean, all of my research is connected to oral health, to dental diseases and how they relate to systemic health. But I remain focused more, mostly on, on research and science and academia, teaching also students uh, rather than doing clinical practice. So that kept me moving from one country to another. So started with Norway, then back to where I took my home country for some time, and then to the uh, to another countries in the Middle East before. And it's the work that I did on the oral microbiome that gave me the ticket to travel all the way to come to the USA to join Kornberg School of Dentistry, where well, I, as you mentioned- you, Yeah, like, like when you grew up in Yemen, like did you think you were gonna be a practicing uh, dentist? I mean, was that what you thought, I assume, originally? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, no, that was just know, like, a, you know that was just a way, you know, you weren't like, just the a way, way to the science? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes in, in, in countries in that part of the world where opportunities are limited, so you you usually follow what, what whatever door opens for you, you see? I understand, so, sure. Yeah, at one point, yeah. I wanted to be an engineer, I was doing great at math, and then I found myself doing dentistry, and it's there where I started to fall in love with with science, although I was doing good with clinical practice per se, but I had more passion for for science because with, I mean, at the end of the day, clinical practice becomes very routine. You do almost almost the same way, which is great, 
but I thought that I want to do a bit more and to discover uh, and to make sort of discoveries. This is what 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 motivated me to pursue a, P a master's and a PhD, and that got me into the world of science and research. Yeah, yeah that's very fascinating because you'll hear also a lot of dentists. I understand a lot of them do the endodontistry. There's a lot of money to be made in that. People all are very focused on the cosmetic end of dentistry today here in the United States. So, Absolutely. but it's interesting because I think it's sometimes again some of the best you know, medical work done in dentistry probably is done outside of the United States where they're not as focused on this. Okay, so let's get into it because I'm really interested. Uh, I deal a lot with my patients uh, in the functional medicine, the immunology of my practice. I'm constantly looking at their mouth and I'm looking at things, you know, if patients sometimes develop what's called oral thrush from candida overgrowth. Um, obviously, right. I'm looking to see their gums or if there's other any oral issues. Uh, and obviously, it's very important in Chinese medicine, like, you know, they, they look at the tongue. So going through, let's go through the anatomy a little bit. I mean, in the mouth, we're dealing with the teeth, obviously, we're dealing with the tongue, we're dealing with the, the gums, the gingiva. Right. What is, yep. you know, what, what is important in there? What do what most people, doctors and even the patients don't appreciate? Yeah, I mean... I mean, it, and the fact remains that the most the most commonly encountered diseases in the oral cavity are cavities, which is dental caries, which affects the heart tooth, the, the 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 heart dental tissues, and then gum diseases, periodontitis, that affects the tissue around the teeth, the tooth supporting structure, which is the uh, uh, periodontitis. So these remain and gingivitis, and these remain the most commonly encountered. So it makes sense that that people give all the all most of their attention to these diseases but what people do not maybe appreciate that these are not disconnected from from uh, from from systemic health so that's one area yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna get into that yeah, the I... other area the other area within the organ that people do not maybe appreciate is what's behind these diseases what is the complexity well of, of of microbes that that well, account for these diseases well. right so where are them and this is to me also what i think about because you're bringing it up too so like when you're talking about the gums the gingiva that's an area where there are obviously the microbes right they're in that you know they're it's not only so much the bone on the teeth, I assume, but it, it's the gums that are more of the live tissue. Well, they're all live tissue, but the, you know, the, the gums, you know, they, from what I understand, like, you know, when kids eat a lot, they eat a lot of sugar, they build up too much bacteria or adults, if they don't take care of it, you know, again, when they get the, when we say get gingivitis, what is that? Is that the bacteria building up, you know, from poor yeah. health? Yeah, then let me start with this. Yes, so sure. the, the oral cavity mouth is a home to billions of microbes, billions mm. of microbes, mm. mostly bacteria, but some also some fungi and some viruses. And there, we have many types of these bacteria. Um, the studies show that we there are around 700 types of bacteria that can be found, not necessarily only 700 in one person, but in different people. Yeah. So maybe at least maybe 50, 60, 70, up to 100 of these are found across all people, but the others may be found in some people, but not in, in the others. And these microbes or bacteria live in communities, exactly like we live in cities. So there is lots of interaction between these microorganisms. It's not like just every bacteria is on, on its own. Now they interact from very right. complex communities and they're found everywhere. So they colonize all the exposed surfaces of the mouth. So 
the dorsum of the tongue, the, the floor of the mouth, the all these two surfaces, the uh, the uh, cheeks, gums, everywhere, everywhere. that is exposed. Of, of course, anything that is hidden below the gum, below the tissues, or below the mucosa, like bones, are typically sterile. So, but mm -hmm. here I just found in in the in the outer surface that are exposed to to saliva. So bacteria are forming these complex communities on the surfaces, and also many of them are, are bathing in saliva, and that helps them move from one place to another within the oral cavity. Now we need this bacteria because it's, it's interesting, like in the gut, we do need some of those bacteria in our mouth because yes, they're beneficial. Certainly, certainly, for the most part, they are. I mean, I mentioned we have billions of these bacteria, right? right? And right. We, for, for the most part, we don't feel them, right? They right. That we have infection every single day, right. we have a problem. So that means that they're there serving a, a, a function. They, yeah, they benefit from us, but they, we also benefit from them. So it's a mutualistic beneficial interaction between us and these microbial communities. So they serve us, they, they, they provide us with lots of benefits. For example, these bacteria are required or microbes are required to train our immune system. They are required there. They, are, they, they provide the challenge that the immune system needs to, to develop. And they found that where in bacteria, in, in mice, where, where, where bacteria was removed, Early in life, they found that these mice do not develop their immune system well. So we need this bacteria. So we do, yeah. right? So yeah. we do need, we do need, because uh, again, somebody who's got, like, let's say, an autoimmune condition where they have severe dry mouth, that's a problem, right? Because they they don't have the right bacteria or saliva in the mouth, right? You know, for the you know, really for the balance of the microbiome. Exactly. And another another example of how bacteria can be beneficial to us: these bacteria colonize or these exposed surfaces in the mouth. So when a pathogen comes in, the pathogen doesn't find a place uh, for it to colonize. So that's, uh -huh. we, we call this colonization resistance. Right. So that's another example where our own bacteria or the bacteria that live inside the mouth protects us. So just as an example, this is really interesting. There's a lot of ways to go with this, but so if, God, if, if somebody ate some food, for example, that may have had some bad bacteria, it's possible that the mouth might begin to neutralize that even before it goes further, if you're chewing the food or whatever, before it goes down further into your stomach or not? Yeah, that's a good example. But usually it's in that case, when we have um, a bacteria that causes diarrhea, for example, yeah. most of the time it's, uh, what happens is that the good bacteria in the gut could block this bacteria from colonizing. Mm -hmm. But that's why you need certain amounts uh, of bacteria, of this pathogenic bacteria, to be able to overcome that challenge, that resistance. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Now, well, go ahead. No. So what about what about also like when people get plaque? You know, uh, you know, because dentists uh, used to say, okay, plaque is bad. You know, obviously people don't like it because it looks like yellowish, whatever. Too is that have any benefit, or is that more bad for the gums and the teeth? That's a great question. So plaque is just one it's bacteria, form, right? Yeah, plaque is just one form of these microbial communities. I mean, mm -hmm. I said that's what mm -hmm. microbial communities are found on the tongue. They are found on the tooth surface. So on the tooth surface, they become as a very thin film, which we call or viscous film, which we call as dental plaque, which basically is again. I mean, the same rule applies that in, in principle. The, most of the bacteria, even in plaque, are 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 not not harmful. The majority, okay. And as as long as, and this is what I wanted to emphasize that these microbial complex, these microbial communities are very complex, but they are very stable. 
And as I mentioned, they serve the host. So it's a beneficial relationship between a mutualistic relationship between the host and the microbes, including those in dental plaque. But now there is a point where this balanced, balanced microbial community sometimes breaks. And this is what we call what I mean. Let me let me bring here one 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 term one term here is that this microbial community as a whole is called microbiome. Okay. Right. I'm sure that listener, I mean the, the audience are now familiar with They're this familiar term. With it this, comes yes. from all over the news media, social media. So microbiome is just the collective term for all the microbial community in a particular uh, body site. So in the oral cavity is called oral microbiome. And as I mentioned, it has mostly bacteria and some fungi and viruses, and it is stable. And overall, it's, it doesn't pose any danger to, to us uh, on the other, I mean, at the other way around. It, most of the time, it's a, a mutualistic relationship. But sometimes this balanced state or balanced or homeostasis, uh, we call it homeostasis, or some people will call it eobiosis or normobiosis, that refers to a balanced microbiome that is in uh, that is compatible with health sometimes this balance is lost different uh, due to different reasons and when this balance is lost some of the tiny minority of bacteria that are potentially harmful but they are controlled because they are in a very small amount can overgrow and now this this microbiome becomes very imbalanced and once the microbiome becomes imbalanced then we start to have disease. And the typical diseases that are caused by imbalanced microbiome or imbalanced microbial community are dental caries or cavities and gum disease and periodontitis. And that's why people say, okay, let's remove dental plaque because it's at that point where dental plaque is becoming and uh, or uh, represents an um, imbalanced or what we call as dysbiosis or dysbiotic mm. microbial community. And it's only then when it becomes really bad and can cause disease and where we need to remove it as dentists by 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 scaling, for example, uh, using ultrasonic scalers or scalers, or mm. we encourage or teach the patients to do brushing and flossing to mechanically remove these bacteria. Although Although we know that most of these bacteria are, are typically not harmful, but we got a, a, we got to a point where we lost this balance mm -hmm. and we have more pathogens or potentially pathogenic bacteria. So we need to keep cleaning to prevent disease. Mm. You know, it's interesting, you know, because again, my background is in immunology and I teach at the medical school here in New York and I, I teach about immune deficiencies. So there's a couple of very interesting rare immune deficiencies where, um, the kids get um, swelling in the gums and right. uh, sometimes bleeding. And as you probably know too, in leukemia, you know, the, right. you know, the again bleeding of the gums is a very clinical uh, initial symptom in some cases. And what what, what I teach the students because it's funny, I had to relearn this was that I believe like several million or a billion white blood cells transverse through the mouth every right. day. Right. It just shows you how active you know, the immune system is in the mouth. Right. Um, what about, well, maybe you could talk a little bit too, what are maybe some of the examples of, I know doctors, dentists don't usually check this, but of the good bacteria, like I was looking up a list of things like lactobacilli, rutin, lactobacillus salivarius, you know, lactobacillus paracasei, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of them. Like, is there such a thing as, you know, like if you were, you know, again, this is your kind of a little bit your research area. If right. you were to find the healthiest people walking around Philadelphia or I found the healthiest 
people walking around New York, would some of them have a certain percentage, you know, or predominance of of some of these bacteria or not yeah, necessarily? I mean, if we take the average microbiome, certain bacteria tends to be higher in, in people with healthy mouth compared to diseased mouth. So there are certain bacteria when they have higher abundance, we feel this looks good. This is a more of a balanced microbial community. And there are other bacteria that are red flag if they increase that means that we are facing sort of offset of disease. And the, 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 the specific types of bacteria differ from, particularly from cavities to gum disease. So these are two different categories of bad bacteria that can be associated with either disease. But on the health side, some species of, uh, of streptococci, not all of them, uh, are, are overall considered to be associated with health some species of Neisseria, of Rothia, of um, Haemophilus, for example, these are probably major for generally health associated um, species. Once we start to see increases in bacteria like Porphyromonas gingivalis, which is the uh, atypical. Um, oral pathogen that causes gum disease. Once we have treponoma or tropionomas, um, tenarella, and in, uh, these are all related to uh, predental disease. But one other bacteria that is really, um, or a group of bacteria that are implicated or linked to dental caries or to cavities is called Streptococcus mutans. I mean, mm, this is I've a heard very, of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. A high. I mean, extensively studied bacteria, and its role in in dental caries is quite well established. And then you mentioned Lactobacilli, and here where we have to be careful, because many times Lactobacilli are available, uh, or some strains of Lactobacilli are available as probiot or as probiotics. As right. Right. Mm -hmm. That's really good in the context of gut microbiome, okay? Mm -hmm. We have to be a bit cautious when it comes to oral microbiome, although some of these have been found to maybe help with gum disease, but in dental caries per se, in cavities, deep in cavities, lactobacilli are contributing to the disease process. They are bacteria that produce high amounts of acids. Mm -hmm. So we need to keep, uh, keep, uh, keep the two scenarios a bit uh, away from each other. Gut microbiome and gut health is something. And once we start to apply the, this knowledge to the oral, to oral health and to oral microbiome, it may be a different scenario. And it is still under investigated what sort of probiotic we can use in the oral cavity. Yeah, I want to get. I, I want to get into that because I was going. I had my brilliant idea for a friend of mine who has a a toothpaste company, but I'll, I'll get to that after. I want to keep the listeners on their edge of their seat. But let me ask you this: <laughs> right. that um, you know, when we think of the mouth, also, you know, as far as it, the thing is, is it's so accessible. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like the skin. You know, right. dermatologists are lucky. You see a rash, you can scrape it and culture it. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's a little more invasive when a gastroenterologist has to put a scope down somebody into their stomach or yeah. for their colon to right. find out what's grown there. The mouth, you just they open yeah. up. Yeah, all they will rely. I mean, in the case of the gut microbiome, they will rely on on a, fe a fecal sample, which is 
which is site not specific because it carries everything yeah that's see, that's a problem i know people yeah. ask me all i mean just as an aside patients ask me all the time oh don't you want to check my stool i want to check for this i said you know i've talked to a lot of top experts you know on this show and most of them feel the stool is quite suboptimal for really getting an idea of what's going right. on the gut health right. so right. you make a good right. point what about also like what we call immunoglobulins like immunoglobulin a uh, or cytokines you know like the immune hormone cells in the right. mouth. Is there anything, you know, I, I do a lot of work with what's called sublingual allergy immunotherapy, where I, I um, treat patients for food allergies, have these severe food allergies with these drops. Uh-huh. And sublingual is a great area because it gets it right into the system, bypassing the liver. Right. And it's interesting, in some of the research that's done, they'll measure the IgA, you know, uh, or IgG response to the immunotherapy treatment. So I was just curious again too if that you know anyway immunoglobulins play a role like I mean if somebody's immune deficient for example will they be obviously immune deficient in the mouth as well I mean yeah I mean if somebody has a systemic uh, disorder with will with, with and, and, and generalized immunodeficiency certainly that will be will, will reflect in the oral cavity and people will have higher susceptibility to oral infections as well so uh, I guess that yeah. makes sense because you know I, I mean I should have I should have answered my own question like you know I trained in the AIDS epidemic in the late 1980s and we obviously saw many patients with HIV AIDS who had oral candidiasis or thrush exactly you know right. so yeah. where is that coming from is that coming from the lower GI or is that in the mouth I'm just curious for myself too because I see still a lot of patients that have oral candidiasis. Yeah, where's, I mean, where's that I mean, emanating from? Candida is found as a, uh, as a minority in the very small amounts, as a commensal in most people. So it's found in very tiny amounts in the saliva or on the tongue of of of, of some people. And it's it's we don't feel it's it's commensal. So if we screen 100 people, normal people who have not have no symptoms of thrush you will still see some candida in some well, right there's supposed to be some there but is, is that yeah, like but, similar to what's in the gut like in the stomach is it similar in the mouth and the stomach or is there like a different gradient i mean that uh... i'm not sure about the, the gut but as far as the oral uh, the oral cavity is concerned once uh what, what happens is that candida that the immune system, the immune system uh, prevents candida from overgrowing so once you have a patient with immunodeficiencies like HIV, then you, uh, HIM, um, candida is an opportunistic, as an uh, opportunistic pathogen. It starts to overgrow. Another good example, which you mentioned over email, where where candida can um, uh, be also an opportunistic, an, an, an opportunistic pathogen and can result in infection, is when we use broad spectrum antibiotics for. A long I see. Time. Right. I see this, Doctor. Habishi, I see this all the time. Like when I have patients that have come to me that have been on like doxycycline for months for acne, or they've been on something like that too for Lyme disease. And then they come and they're like, I'm getting recurrent thrush. I'm getting rashes, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, and exactly. This is a, a very good example. I, you, you remember I mentioned uh, colonization resistance where bacteria will stop pathogens from colonizing and growing? So what, what what you are doing when you give antibiotics for a long time, you are you are cleaning bacteria, and bacteria are usually the ones that stop candida from overgrowing. So mm. when you are removing all these bacteria, candida is on her own or on its own and starts to 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 overgrow. So it starts to flush. flourish. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not being inhibited by it's not being kind of crowded out by the other bacteria. Yeah, yeah because usually bacteria antagonize antagonize. Candida, so they limit the, uh, its proliferation. 
They so do what? I'm sorry, can you say that again? They do what to they Canada? They, they antagonize. They block. Oh, they antagonize they it. Okay. Yeah. So oh, interesting. The, yeah, they limit the overgrowth of, of Canada. So. Uh-huh. And, you know, one of the things I just have to ask you, because you published a paper on this, about something about with iron. Yeah. Uh, increase increases and causes so I, i'm a little bit confused about this because most of the time i think of like being iron deficient being a problem with the immune system but in your paper you were saying something to the effect that if someone has too high an iron load that they're more prone to, to candida yeast overgrowth yeah i mean uh, that paper is uh, when i had a, a very small contribution because the expert on on on, on the uh, principal investigator on that paper is dr Puri, who co-directs the same lab as mine. So he's the one who work, does most of the work on candida and how iron levels, environmental iron levels can modulate how pathogenic or virulent candida is. And he shows that when you take iron away from, from, from candida, that makes it less virulent in many ways. That's interesting. So mm. it's... Uh, it's his hypothesis that if 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 in in a patient with with high levels of iron for whatever systemic condition, this may uh, this may result in in more uh, uh, virulent infections. Hmm. So yeah, because I see a lot of young women, and it's like actually I have the opposite problem. A lot of young women who have heavy menstrual cycles, they have sometimes very low iron and low ferritin iron stores, and. Again, what I know from my medical background in immunology, unfortunately, being deficient in iron can actually have, make you your immune system weaker. Oh, okay, yeah. If you so look at, if you look like at a, from you know, that like a, side, because you have to put. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree with you because that that you, I mean, most of these are most of this work is done on mice or in vitro. So what's mm. where you consider humans? Then you have to uh, if you if you have to take into account also how. The immune system is affected by by changes in iron, so uh, it's 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 a multifaceted uh, okay. uh, issue. Let me ask you about uh, breath. You know, and people obviously are always worried about what we call halitosis, bad breath. You know, in medicine, we were we were trained, hopefully, you know, using our our all our senses. You know, today in medicine, you know, we have all our technology, our ultrasounds, CAT scans, you know, people don't examine patients anymore. But you know, there was a time, and I remember when I did my medical training, the doctors were very uh, adamant, hopefully teaching us well, like, you know, when you're next to the patient, notice their breath, uh, do they smell ketotic, which has sort of that, that sort of that sweet smell, you know, that could be from right. a diabetic, or in a, a patient that's got a liver disease, you know, right. they have, you know, so there's certain medical conditions, but of course, patients are also really concerned about, God, my breath doesn't smell well. There's a whole multi-billion dollar industry of getting people to have minty, fresh breath. Right. What is it that goes on in general with how toast paper? Is it coming from the gut lower down? Is it from the mouth or is that's, it the pen? That's a great question. Again, I mean, I'm not an expert in the um, systemic uh, um, systemic aspects of halitosis, but what I know for sure is that yeah. that accounts for only ten to fifteen percent of all halitosis cases. What does so, uh, the systemic conditions like diabetes? Liver, yes, right, right, food, right. That's those are rare. What about the more common 80, bread and butter? Eighty-five percent of of halitosis cases are due to oral or, or mouth problems, and most of the time, the these the bad smell comes from the dorsum yeah, the, of the tongue. The dorsum where, of the tongue. Yeah, where bad bacteria that produ produce sulfur-containing volatile uh -huh. uh, compounds is the reason why we have this bad, bad odor. Um, 
the, um, and also some of the bacteria that live around the gum, also, especially in, in cases of very severe periodontitis of gum disease, also uh, can produce volatile uh, um, compounds that, that contribute to halitosis. And it's it's very important thing here is to make sure that what uh, that halitosis is really halitosis because many times there is no halitosis and people just perceive mm. they're either either halito they call it halitosis or halito um, halitophobic. Mm. They just think that they, they have halitosis. Mm. Okay. But what if they don't have? They are very sensitive to least amount of any odor that comes out of their of their mouth and they think they are that they have halitosis and when in the fact they don't have. Yeah. So that's that's a very important. Yeah. No, it's it's but it's something that people are it's something people are very aware about. I guess in our society, whether it's about body odor or their breath. So uh, right. I thought I thought I had to ask you on that one. Let me ask you this too. Let's go into which I'm sure a lot of listeners really want to know too about oral hygiene products. And uh, as I was alluding to earlier on, I have a friend of mine who started a uh, toothpaste company. I had him on the podcast a couple of years ago. He was, he was a dentist, but now he just runs a business. And um, he was like putting a couple some vitamins in the toothpaste. I said okay. to him, you know, I think the game changer here is if you find the right probiotic that gives somebody really good health. So anyway, what do you recommend as far as toothpaste? Um, Really, besides, you know, we have all the whitening toothpaste that we know. What I about mean, good it, oral health? You know, because like, patients ask me all the time, you know, Dr. Mitchell, what's the good probiotic I should take for my gut health? So now, let me emphasize one point. The traditional approach to treat and, pre and prevent oral diseases like periodontitis, gum disease, uh, dental caries is to remove bacteria, bacterial biofilms or dental plaque uh, that accumulate on the tooth surface, right? And this this has been the objective of of what the dentists do, uh, and also what what the uh, patients are instructed to do through tooth brushing and 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 flossing. And I think this will continue the, to be the standard the standard care for some time as new evidence uh, builds up uh, in favor of using this uh, a bit an alternative approach where we instead of Mechanically removing, because what you do with, with brushing, regardless of what the toothpaste is, uh, because it's, it provides a soaping action, so you're just mechanically removing bacteria. That's the major, the major, the major objective of, of brushing. Now, some, some of these are medicated, have some ingredients that can have some, medic, uh, some, some biological effects, but what is evolving now uh, over the last, the last 10, 15 years, and that's in parallel with, with, our, with the paradigm shift, in our understanding of how uh, microbes are involved in dental caries and periodontitis, the concept of balance versus imbalanced mi microbiome. So one potential or emerging strategy to, to control dental disease instead of removing, mechanically removing mm -hmm. all bacteria, good and bad, mm -hmm. maybe there is a way to keep the balance. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's bacteria be there, but let's make sure that the good ones are have the, the upper hand and right. we keep the, the pathogenic uh, at very low abundance and we're done if we keep that if we are able to keep that balance and stop any break in the in the in the, in the homeostasis of microbial communities then we can uh, improve oral health in a novel approach but as i mentioned this is still evolving lots of work is being done some products are now in the markets with some with, with, that could be effective, some that will maybe eventually prove not to be effective. 
We continue to study this, but it's certainly something that is coming. I would think it's a hot topic, yeah, because people, you know, again, they're taking oral probiotics, just swallowing, it's going right down into their stomach and intestine, yet in the mouth, as we say, it's a very active immune organ. Just out of curiosity, too, um, I, I mean, I've heard back in the day, some people used to say like baking soda was a great toothpaste. Like people hardly ever got cavities. I don't know. I don't know if it kills bacteria. There's also a natural product called neem. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's like it's like a natural product that has sort of some antifungal, antiviral properties. I mean, versus the typical mouthwashes. Or are you pro or against them? Because a lot of them have like a little bit of alcohol. Um, sometimes they have yeah. sweetener, like usually artificial sweetener because people don't want sugar. Like what, what's the, what's, what, what would you do for yourself? If you're trying to have, if you're, somebody went to you, Dr. Al Halpshi, I want to follow your program. What do you do for optimal health? And this is a book, by the way, that you can write. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Until we have strong evidence for effectiveness of certain approach, I will continue to, to do the traditional approach of, of the brushing and interdental flossing. Um, uh, uh, mouthwashes make make you feel fresh, right? You know, fresh breath. They don't necessarily mean that if you have halitosis, for example, that they are treating halitosis. Maybe they're just masking the smell. Exactly right, right. And because they have broad spectrum, you don't know how they are messing with your microbiome. Actually, there was a study mm. that showed that um, uh, that uh, using mouth rinse twice a day changes the tongue microbiome. Killing good bacteria, particularly, I'm going to uh, to connect this with your yes. question about 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 uh, pre-probiotics, bacteria that that are nitrate-reducing. Studies sh now show that there are th there is a component of the oral microbiome, especially the microbiome living on the tongue, yeah, capable of reducing nitrates. And when that happens, nitrite nitrate become nitrite, and then eventually into nitric acid, uh, nitric oxide. Um, and that, and that is a vasoactive, um, that's a vasoactive molecule that results in relaxation of blood vessels, so reduces blood pressure. So there have been studies that suggest that maintaining healthy microbiome on the surface of the tongue can help with regulating or reducing blood pressure. Wow. Well, that's, that's kind of fascinating. You know, you mentioned to me in our correspondence too, I want to ask you about this, that a nitrate rich diet, is that what you said is possibly good for the Yeah. Mouth? So based on this, based on the, uh, on, on studies that found that nitrate reducing bacteria can help with maintaining or reducing blood pressure, uh, subsequent, subsequent studies were done to check, to, to, to assess if, uh, supplementing with with uh, nitrate-rich food could also help improving blood pressure. And I'm at least aware of a couple of studies where they use uh, uh, beetroot juice mm. as a, as such a supplement to improve nitrate production in uh, because that's nitrate nitrate uh, nitrate rich mm -hmm. nitrate rich yeah and that um, uh, um, uh, resulted in increase in nitrate reducing bacteria on the surface of the tongue. And eventually also um, modulated the blood pre uh, pressure favorably, at least in uh, in in patients who are uh, a, a bit old. So of course more studies ha has to be done to confirm these findings. But it's very interesting and it's evolving. And I'm aware of a couple of products that have been launched that has nitrate 
in a chewing gum or in, in, in some other form. Interesting. So yeah. there is some there is some work being done there, but the level of evidence is early. I mean, it's very early to make final conclusion. But this approach where we are using natural products, prebiotics, probiotics to keep the balance of the microbiome rather than removing bacteria is really evolving and, and we have more and more evidence every day. Do you think it's also important to you make me think about a lot of different things like chewing, you know, a lot of like even holistic people say, you know, you should chew your food 32 times, you know, and all of these things. <laughs> Some of it sounds like, you know, it's like kind of, you know, hocus pocus, but you know, they, you know, obviously in nature and animals, they, they chew the food. You know, a lot of us were busy, you know, talking, reading, watching TV and just like shoving the food down, not even right. really, you know, breaking it down. I mean, is there a whole thing about the saliva, you know, all those things that sh yeah, should be? Yeah, saliva could be, but it's, I think it's mostly the nature of food rather than how much you chew. I mean, if you are chewing sugary food or mostly yeah, that no benefit. sugar, yeah. then if, if, it's, if, you, if you're eating fibrous food, like vegetable fruit, yes. Right. Then just just by the just by the means of mechanical cleansing, that's on 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 its own is is uh, is beneficial. Is it better uh, alkaline, slightly alkaline diet for the the mouth? Would you say? Because uh, overall in health, that tends to be the case versus an acidic diet. You know, like where either it's a lot of meat or sauces. I don't know. I mean, do you? Now it is less less clear how. Al client diet would affect the oral health. I mean, we know that acidic acid, sugar intake, that also ultimately results in reduction in more acidity in the, in the or more acid production in the oral cavity, uh, adversely affect oral health by uh, uh, stimulating um, acid producing bacteria to produce even more acid to result in, in, in cavities, dental caries sort of thing. But increasing the pH uh, could be also not a good idea because certain bacteria um, sorry for that. It's okay. Uh, certain bacteria uh, that are involved in uh, periodontal disease tend to love uh, a high pH or some alkaline. Uh, alkaline they like an alkaline pH. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm not sure how much work has been done on this, to be honest, and how uh, and if there is anything anything such as alkaline diet, I'm not sure. So um, uh, I'm not very familiar, but I, I, I would put a question mark on this because it's okay. uh, we need to do lots of work before we can. Mm -hmm. So what's what are the, the consequences of having a slightly high pH? Uh, okay. Let's talk about systemic medical diseases. That gets a lot of attention. It's actually how I came to contact you. The, uh, there was an article in the New York Times on the health science section about oral hygiene is crucial to your health. Right. It's a little bit of the chicken and the egg type of thing. I mean, there are, it's pretty important, some pretty serious medical conditions like diabetes, heart disease. They even mentioned dementia. Right. So right. is it that the poor oral health contributes to these diseases or is it the other way around? People that have these problems will present with Poor oral health. Poor, poor oral health. Actually, it's both ways, uh, and it depends on what disease we are talking about. So let's start with 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 uh, with saying that if you go through the literature, you would see an explosion of, of studies that that claim that oral health is involved in some way or another in disease A, B, C. Well, let's say the cardiovascular disease. And, there's there's yeah, been a lot of attention yeah. to that, saying. 
you know, you go get your cleanings, take care of your teeth because you're putting yourself at risk for atherosclerosis, which is a pretty serious statement. Now, the way I make that connection, again, going back in my medical training, was that uh, back in the day, really a little bit before antibiotics, which is again, way before my time, but you know, patients that had very poor dentition, you know, whether they lost teeth or whatever too, could sometimes present with uh, what's called fevers and weakness, and they had what's called su uh, subacute bacterial endocarditis. They had actually right. from the gums. This is for the listeners. The bacteria from the mouth actually got into yeah. the heart. How does that happen, by the way? What what's the pathway from the gums just through the circulation that it gets back into, yeah. you know, into the heart? Yeah, I mean, for, uh, specifically in the case of infective endocarditis, is direct uh, direct access of bacteria to the to the bloodstream and getting all the way uh, uh, to the to the to, to the heart. But getting back to your to yes. this, uh, to, to the to the to the broader uh, topic, which is the connection between oral health and systemic health. If you go by if you go by uh, or, or uh, by the literature, you'll find a long list of diseases that have been connected to oral health. Long list. It could be in hundreds, maybe. Mm. But if we weigh evidence, then we can start to shortlist uh, and keep it a very small list of of systemic disease where we have. I would say moderate evidence for a link or a connection between oral health and systemic health. So I would name these. The first is, as you mentioned, atherosclerotic cardiovascular diseases is one where we have at least moderate evidence for the for the uh, for the association. And then diabetes is another disease. Uh, certain types of cancer, uh, respiratory tract infections. Um, and then um, uh, adverse pregnancy outcomes. The evidence is uh, is a bit weaker, but there is now more studies that 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 that, that, that add up to the evidence. So these are the more the more uh, uh, and to some extent there is also some some uh, actually considerable work that has been done on the on the uh, uh, the relation between or the association between oral health. Specifically, certain oral bacteria and and neurodegenerative diseases, uh, um, Alzheimer's in in particular. Okay, you also wrote uh, were co-author on uh, an editorial about the human microbiome and cancer. Did any of this really relate to the mouth? Because I'm looking at it. You know, you you know, in the first paragraph, you you and your co-author, Dr. Morin. You know, yeah, mentioned he, that this yeah, evidence of a fungal etiology for pancreatic cancer has been proposed. Again, I don't know how that's been, how much that's been supported. You know, we know there's always been concern about uh, H. pylori with gastric cancer. Um, and the, how about even mouth cancer, which is on the rise now? I mean, it's, right. there's, some, there's been some celebrities that have had throat cancer and HPV supposedly related. Yeah. Um, what's yeah, going on I mean, with all that? HPV related uh, oral cancer. In young individual is is uh, uh, a special entity, uh, so that's uh, mm -hmm. a unique, a unique, a unique, um, a unique type of oral cancer, oropharyngeal cancer that is related to HPV and sexual behavior. So it's a different from the broader type or, of oral of oral cancer that is mainly um, uh, uh, caused by by other uh, uh, lifestyle habits like um, smoking. Smokeless tobacco use and 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 alcohol. Now, be, uh, probably many people are already aware of these risk factors of of oral cancer. 
But there is emerging evidence that oral bacteria can even also contribute to the to the to the disease process. And uh, there have been lots of work done on this, including by my group. Um, and it's not only oral cancer. There is also, as you mentioned, pancreatic cancer, where, where there have been some evidence to suggest that certain oral bacteria uh, are associated or could be linked or implicated uh, uh, implicated in. And the, other, uh, and the other very important type of cancer that has been also uh, linked to oral bacteria is uh, colorectal cancer. Colorectal cancer is related yes, to... Is. Yeah, so as a specific bacteria from the oral cavity called Fusobacterium nucleatum yes. has been studied extensively in the in 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 in, in, in the context of uh, colorectal cancer. Uh huh. Hmm. So. And do you think that also, let's say, you know, a lot of people socially drink, you know, they a lot of times, a lot of times they're swishing the alcohol around their mouth as they learn to be fine wine tasters, and uh, fortunately, most people yeah. are not smoking cigarettes as much anymore. Um, I don't know if there's any issues with marijuana, but I mean, what is it with the smoke that it actually damages the cells, the DNA in the in the mouth? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's both, uh, both smoking, smokeless tobacco and alcohol can induce genetic mutations, especially when they're in, uh, together. Um, and, 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 and you mentioned about switching with, with, with alcohol. There are certain types of bacteria that can convert um, ethanol into acetaldehyde, and acetaldehyde right. is a is a carcinogen. So this is one. Mm. This is actually this is one mechanism by which bacteria is 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 thought to contribute to oral cancer by by conversion of 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 ethanol into acetaldehyde. Oh wow! Yeah, another another mechanism by which bacteria is thought to to contribute not only to cancer but to many other systemic connections, including diabetes, including um, uh, cardiovascular diseases, uh, adverse pregnancy uh, effects, is through inducing chronic inflammation. So by having all these bacteria blow blow your gum, and resulting in gum disease, and you know gum disease presentatis is a very chronic disease. Um, that lasts for years and years, and that produces molecules or inflammatory molecules that go into the blood and keep challenging and stimulating um, cells of different organs around the body. And this is how, or an additional mechanism by which people think that bacteria, oral bacteria, can contribute to systemic disease if is through chronic inflammation. Okay. All right. So I'm going to wind down this interview, which is really fascinating. Uh, Dr. Al Hepsi, how would you advise our listeners or if some celebrity came to you and said, I, I want to have the best opportunity to take really good care of my mouth so I don't lose my teeth later on and I don't get all these other medical conditions. What would be one or two pieces of advice you would tell them? I mean, I would stick with you with the standard of care again for now. Going to the dentist twice a year to do your prophylaxis, sticking to uh, and uh, and using using your toothbrush or and your preferred uh, toothpaste flossing would be the, the standard of, 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 of care for sure uh, but following with uh, and keeping up, updated with what's going on with with recent research about use of probiotics prebiotics and if something comes uh, into the market and is approved by, by FDA it's something that uh, that we can consider long term again keeping healthy diets, 
fibrous diets, maybe nitrate-rich diets based on what has been uh, published so far, um, could also could also help. All right. I'm going to add one thing of my own, and I'm not a dentist or have your background, but one thing I think I did learn over the years, which you may find interesting, uh, earlier on in my 30s or 40s, I would go for the dental cleanings or appointments and go, oh, your gums don't look good. You're brushing too hard, da, da, da. And I ended up going to an electric toothbrush, which I really like because I, I like to think now as the teeth and the gums as the teeth as fine china. Like you never want to brush your, your, your fine china, you know, this women will understand this better than men, you know, by scratching it or doing it too hard. You want to do it just enough so it's clean and shiny, but not wow. irritated. And since I've been using one of those, like, I guess, I don't know if it's a Braun electric toothbrush, when I go for my dental checkups, they're much better now because I'm, I'm doing it very carefully along the gum line, but not looking to irritate the gum line and hopefully breaking up the bacteria and, and of course, trying to regularly floss, which earlier in my life I didn't do. I, I didn't understand the importance of it. But uh, I think there's a saying when someone said, uh, yeah, you don't have to only don't floss the teeth that you don't care about losing. You know, so if you want to keep your teeth you know, make sure you floss your teeth, right? Exactly. I mean, and the choice between a brush or an automated tooth, a manual or an automated uh, electric toothbrush is a matter of preference. But again, mm. it's all about the technique and how you use uh, either this or that. And the dentist is the best one to advise on how and to teach the patients how to use it appropriately. Otherwise, be it the manual toothbrushing or the electric, will can, can if you use it aggressively with lots of force, can 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 um, can hurt the teeth. All right, Dr. Hal Hapsi, thank you so much for taking the time today. This was really illuminating. I'm sure our listeners have gotten a lot out of it. I know I have, and uh, appreciate your time. 